Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. The theme of today's show, which I'm super excited about, is about finding out and embracing who you really are. We're going to be talking with my guest, Rick Clemens. Rick is a certified life coach, fellow podcaster, and author, and a new friend of mine whose humor candor and raw truth inspires entrepreneurs, small business owners, and students, regardless of sexuality, to step out of their life's closets, tap into their confidence, and own their uniqueness in the world. His enthralling keynote speeches and interactive, intimate group experiences invite participants to dig deep into the truth of who they are, find their gifts, build confidence, embrace their uniqueness, and own their purpose for being on this planet. He's been on Huffington Post, Your Tango, Yahoo Shine, HuffPost Live, all over the media. He does speaking engagements at colleges and universities. And most recently in Tokyo, he was a speaker at TEDx. And he also released his book, Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay, which Gosh, I don't know how he fits all this stuff in. There's so much more information and more stuff he's up to on his website, rickclemens.com. Please go there and check it out. Welcome, Rick. Hey, how are you? It's so good to be on here and be playing with you today on the airways. Absolutely. I always love chatting with you, Rick. And it's always an inspiring situation when we do that, isn't it? I know. It's amazing. I just say hello and everybody becomes inspired. So there we go. <laughs> That's the magic of you. Yeah, no, that that would be like a big ego stepping into the room and you just lost all your listeners. Like, okay, this guy's full of himself. <laughs> well, no, of, but I'm full of hot air most of the time. But uh, <laughs> it's all good. You are hot, Rick. Oh, yes. Bald daddies, you know, we're, we're always a hot commodity. Daddies. So there we go. Well, you did coin the term, make your quirk work. I did, and I'm making it work. Trust me, everywhere I look, it's uh, like... Like a quirk, it. you know. Of course, sometimes those quirks come with the donuts I eat, so a new quirk pops out <laughs> of my ass every day. So <laughs> mine's coming over my my uh, my pants right now. I got to stop with the overeating. Uh, I think it was Chicago that did it for me. Yes, there for podcasting. I'm like, okay, and then I just kind of got on this eating binge there, and I'm like, okay. And it hasn't stopped, and that was a month ago. So. It is hard to get back into a routine, a healthy routine, yes, when you've is. been conferencing it up. I know, and I've got, I just got back from another one, and I'm leaving in a few days for another one. I'm like, okay, and of course, the next one's in Portland, and you know, Portland is like one of the epitomes of foodie heaven. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm living on top ramen and cosmopolitans right now until I go there. So. <laughs> You'll be taking lots of pictures. I'll see them all over Instagram and Facebook. Of Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. In all seriousness, you are about to inspire the listeners by sharing your story. Uh, tell us about your journey. Like many people, I've been on this beautiful journey of self-discovery and um, kind of knew at a very young age that there was something different. Um, couldn't put my finger on it. Wasn't really concerned about it. I had a beautiful eclectic childhood that exposed me to lots of different things as my family moved all over the country. Um, And my parents were young hippies during the 70s and we moved because my dad was a contractor and so he'd move wherever the building booms were. So I got exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. But the consistent thing was I knew there was something about me that was different. 
And um, it all kind of culminated when I was 19 in college. And I was in school in Arkansas, picked up the phone, or sorry, in Tennessee, called home from college. I finally just said, you know, I, I think I'm gay. And I'd never really confronted the same-sex attraction until that moment. I mean, I looked at guys and... You know, I had a deep crush on my best friend in high school, but I thought it was just because he was from a wealthy family. My family wasn't. And mm-hmm. and uh, there was just lots of conflicting stuff that, you know, happened. You weren't sure. Well, no, and I don't know that, you know, gosh, in this day and age, kids seem to be so much more sure. I mean, I've been through this with my two daughters, and they're very sure who they are, and they know what they want, They, you know, and they date guys and gals, and I'm like, okay, this is a whole new generation of we just like who we are and love who we love. Which is beautiful. It is very beautiful. Now, for a dad who's gay, I mean, even I had to go through my own BS around that with my kids, like, what? But (laughs) I don't get that. um, That's not fair. That's not the way it's supposed to be, but then I'm like, okay, now you're sounding like some people in your life who said the same stuff, and that's actually... That's actually what happened with my parents. They said, uh, no, you're not going to be that. I'm like, mm, How, well, what? okay. Yeah, it was. So they basically I, denied your statement and said, no, you're just going through a phase or how? Yeah, they did. And let me caveat why that was happening. So this is 1983. The HIV AIDS epidemic was just um beginning we were in the throes of the early stages and people not sure what it was yeah calling it the gay plague and not really sure what what to even do and people were so freaked out at that time i remember oh very freaked out and this happened to hit really close to home my dad's oldest brother was gay mm-hmm. and um lived in san francisco Kind of the family's quote unquote, we know that he is who he is, but we're not going to talk about um, And um, he was always welcome at the family events. I mean, he and his partner always were there, but it was always the snicker behind their backs and da 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 da. And um, not full he, acceptance. Not full acceptance by any stretch of the imagination. And God rest my grandmother's soul. Um, I don't think she ever, ever said the word, my son is gay. Um, I don't think she ever said it. Hmm. But anyway, so there, there's kind of the, you know, the preface to all of this. And um, so I come out simultaneously. My uncle is diagnosed uh, with the plague. Wow. And so of I course was, your parents were like, no. Yes, yes no. And um, we lost him very quickly, like within, I want to say, my recollection is four to six months. Um, Goodness. In, yeah. And um, it was pretty quick. And, you know, my dates are kind of fuzzy because now I'm sitting here thinking about it, it may have been like 84, 85, somewhere in that, that range. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. so immediately my parents were like, no, you know, blah, 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 you can't be this. And I know there was a space of coming from love. I also know there was a space of not understanding. And then there was also the space of we already have one in our family that we're not accepting. So this is how the blueprint gets set, you know, and we all bring our blueprints to our own experiences as we come into the world with kids or not with kids, but we all bring forward our parents' blueprint. So basically they, they sent me over across the street to the pastor's office at the church because I was going to a small church college and set up counseling sessions with him to not so much 
I don't want to present this as pray the gay away. It was more, let's find a way for you to come back to center. And um, didn't really work because... I mean, were you okay with going? Yeah, because I wasn't, you know, I was still struggling within myself to go, okay, maybe there is something that this isn't really who I am. And I wasn't very, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't sexually active. Um, I had girlfriends. I never had intercourse with any of them, even at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It's just, yeah, you know, we get so far and it's like, I I could tell I wasn't going to be able to do something. There was a couple of times that I thought I would, but it just didn't go there. So mm-hmm. yes, I willingly went. And um, as I got into the conversations, I started, you know, I never even thought of this until I'm saying it. This is the first time I had this realization. I, I don't think it was the looking at the biblical connotations towards homosexuality. I think it was my first questioning of my faith and going, wait, there's a whole lot about this particular faith-based system I'm just not buying into. <laughs> Yet there was a whole lot of it I was buying into. And literally, I've never had that thought till this interview. Uh, it was kind of interesting that it showed up today. Yeah. Um, Good. And so, so there was, you know, questioning faith in general, but then also questioning the, the faith-based around homosexuality. And... It wasn't really effective because I'd sit there with the pastor and I thought he was really hot. So that's kind of all I did was <laughs> like, well, he's kind of hot and that sounds really pervy to purr out on your pastor. But hey, you know, I'm, I'm 19 years old. He's hot. So, you know, bada bing, bada boom. That's where my head was. And um, so that's why the, the sessions weren't working. <laughs> yeah, that's why they weren't Maybe listed. they should have given you an ugly nun. You know? Yeah, I think all of it would have still happened the same way. I think it would have been the same stuff. And I, through that process, I, I succumbed. I mean, I really succumbed to a belief system of, okay, yeah, maybe I can do this. And all I wanted was typical, please mom and dad. I wanted to someday have a family. And in that day and age, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about, oh, you can be gay and have a family. There, you couldn't even talk about being gay. I mean, it was, we weren't in the 50s, but we weren't too far removed from still a lot of that. And... I guess to say that I willingly went back in the closet is probably the best way to say it, even though the thoughts and everything never went away. But I always question whether the thoughts were real or were they, you know. Right. Not- you still weren't like completely sure I that really this was the path you wanted to take. I was, you know, here I was dating these girls and then I actually got really, fell really in love with one girl in my first two years of college. Kind of one night, you know, said, oh, we should get married. And then if, you know, as we all do. And then it's like crazy four or five weeks later. It's like, why the hell did I say everyone? Why? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's all that euphoric, like, oh, totally. sort of stuff. You so, get caught up in the moment. So I basically went back in the closet, took a year off from the first two years of college. Um, didn't really explore anything sexually. Didn't date anybody. Worked for my dad in his construction business. Went back to school, finished my last two years of college. Did not did not date anyone the last two years of college and um, had some interesting experiences in college, which only kind of proved to me a couple of things. One, that I have a very high sexual energy. And number two, that this attraction to other men was there, but the attraction to women 
was there and they weren't really competing, but they were just both present. Um, you know, I had some interesting sexual escapades in college with three ways and stuff like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, now I'm really confused because I can be in bed with, well, it was always me and another guy and a girl, but I can do that. And it's not, you know, I'm not the typical, and I'm, I hate to be stereotypical in this statement, but I'm not the typical gay man that sits there and goes, oh, no, 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 JJ for me. Stay mm-hmm. away. It's, you know? So did you consider yourself bisexual at that point? I didn't consider myself anything. It's like I was just having experiences. I mm-hmm. didn't, you know, I yeah. did I purposely didn't date because I was, okay, this is going to be really hard for people who may hear this that might know me or have ever met me. I'm pretty, actually a fairly shy person until I get in the right situations. Oh, I can see that in you, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, that is who I am. I mean, I, I is if I'm on stage... If I'm on a podcast like this, if I'm on the road, I'm all out. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. But then walking into a room of strangers, it's kind of like the little wallflower shows up. Now, I've worked on it a lot, and I'm much better at it, but it's still, you know, she shows up. and like, let's go just stand on the wall and hold our little posies in the corner and hope that somebody will come and talk to us, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey to watch myself go through that. So. Mm-hmm. All these then, layers of Rick. All these layers of Rick, right. And then, ironically, I met my ex-wife in a very, how should I say this, kind of a very caught up moment in life where she walked into my office. I was a food and beverage director at a university. She was looking for work. We were hiring, and I was doing some of the interviewing because it was the beginning of the year, so it wasn't just my managers. It was all of us who did interviewing, and I jokingly said to my assistant, I might just marry that one. Well, a year later, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. That's funny. I have this thing right now, this is a total aside, but when you say things aloud, out loud, that it makes it more likely for them to actually actualize. (laughs) It is. So you you said it. You said it. I said it. And then, you know, and we did, we fell in love. And even then, I knew things weren't exactly as they should be. And this is where I usually get myself in hot water, but I'm very transparent. Even then, throughout the dating time period, I was not faithful. Mm -hmm. Did she know? No. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that I loved her and I cared about her, and I didn't see anything other than this was who I was going to be with. Because... And this is where I'm not making an excuse, so I usually get the haters starting to show up when I say stuff like this, because I hadn't begun to feel the pain of living a dual life. I hadn't even really ventured out to living the dual life, and it becoming so burdensome Mm. that I had to figure it out. And most people that I work with now in this arena, as I help others come to their truth, I can't tell you how many times, Michelle, that I hear the same, same kind of story. Mm-hmm. They just didn't, you know, the, they just didn't see what was going on. Now, there's others in my shoes who never acted on it until they act on it once. And it could be five years, 10 years, 20 years into their marriage. And then that's when the light bulb goes off. And this isn't about sex. Sex may have been the catalyst. But what they find is that moment 
it's what made all the ahas come together and go, oh my gosh, I finally really see this. Mm -hmm. But for you, it was a longer road. And road and a lot of infidelity that I'm not proud of. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dancing on a lot of different stages to keep all the stories straight. And going back to the theme of this show, it's like you weren't embracing your true self and what you really, really wanted. Um, And you weren't weren't trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, there's there was trying to figure it out. There was trying to embrace who I was. There was the trying to keep everybody else happy. There was trying to play the roles of what I want. And then there was the true desires that, and again, you know, some people get really pissed off at me when I say this. Like, oh, yeah, you, you want to say it was all society's fault. Well, damn it, yes, it was. A lot of it was society's fault because society had led us to believe, and society still does lead us to believe. All we have to do is look at the lovely current political climate in our... Mm. It is still looked down upon to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. I mean, hello, all we have to do is look at the Republican platform and see all the hate and nastiness. It's so much better than it was back in the 80s, though, right? So much better. So here you have this, like, impending things sitting on your shoulders and you're trying to figure that out so there's there's multiple layers to right. this journey yeah but, and and like you said earlier too it's like it comes through the generations and so your the previous yeah. generations had these belief systems in place and then that also influences you and kind of puts a cloud over yes. your own decisions right yep, yep. and the decisions you get clouded. You know, one of the questions I get asked most of the time, so to set the record straight, I always played safe. Every time I was having sexual encounters with men, it was always a safe play. Mm-hmm. Then the thing that shocks most people is, well, how could you do this with your wife and how could you do it with guys? I checked out on both fronts. I could walk into a encounter with a guy and I could do the act, but I was so disconnected, even though I was touching and feeling and caressing and kissing. And, but I was, uh, it was almost as if it was an out-of-body experience. It was like my soul and mind and everything else was disconnected from the physical body just doing the motions. And then I would come home and I could be with my wife and the same thing would happen. I disconnected wow. from the experience. Wow. And the thing that was missing was... The connection. So is that then what kind of you started to realize this and have awareness about this happening? And you're like, wow, I'm not having an emotional connection with anyone. And that is something that I want. Is that what kind of prompted you to start moving forward in your own journey? That and some bigger things that were happening. I got really tired of people saying you never smile. You never look happy. Wow. And I was a pretty big guy. I mean, a big guy as it is. I'm tall. I'm six, almost. I'm a little over six four. Um, at that time, I was close to three hundred and seventy some pounds. So I was, yeah. I could have played linebacker for any football. Yeah. You know, organization. And if you're not smiling, I could see why you would be yes. a little scary. So I was very imposing <laughs> for a lot yeah. of people. And um, so I had that going on. I was under financial pressure. I was under work pressure. And when I realized that so much of this was coming from a place of escape, and I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I could definitely drink my fair share. And 
I just kept looking at this going, okay, something's got to give. You're miserable. You're yeah, miserable. Yeah, miserable. And this and, is... And the dual life was starting to... I can't say it was starting to catch up, but it was being very... It became hard to keep the story straight, but yeah, I didn't even give a damn about keeping the story straight. That's when I knew, when mm-hmm. I was like... When I was like, fuck it, let's let somebody catch me in the act, I kind of knew something was shifting. Right. You got to that point where you just didn't care anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think that this is something that, like, this whole experience of yours is something that a lot of people experience in different ways. Yes. It's not always about sexuality. It could be about like not being who you are in your work, in your career, mm-hmm. uh, with your family, trying to please others all of the time. And then it ends up, it crushes your own soul to the point where you're not expressing anything that means anything to you, you know? My my platform, even though it's been the coming out coach and, you know, everybody has closets it's really become you don't have to hide yeah you don't have to hide and and it is about what's the closet you're hiding in it could be i'm miserable in my job and i want to be an entrepreneur it could be i'm in a relationship that's not working but i'm hiding in it because i don't believe i am worthy enough of being outside of the relationship all of us have these closets that we're hiding yeah in, yeah you know? so many and so this piece of what you don't have to hide and what are you hiding in your life's closets is really the platform I'm standing on. And it's becoming a really beautiful place to be able to take the coming out work that I have done and, and the coming out expertise, you know, that I've learned to walk people through, through different steps to really help people start to see, wow, this parallel of what someone is doing as they come out of the closet in their sexual orientation is actually the same exact parallel to someone who's saying, I am ready to slip my wrist sitting here in Cubicle Nation, mm-hmm. and I want to have my own business or be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. It's the same steps you have to go through to yep. get through this space. Yep. You and I talked about that when I was a guest on your podcast. Yeah. And it's it is something that a lot of people struggle with, so many people struggle with. Um, so let's talk about that work that you did and that you help people do these steps. Tell us yeah. more. Well, I think the first step, and I, I kind of loosely frame it in eight different steps, um, and, and it depends on where the person is. Uh, some of these steps aren't going to be there, but the first step, and it's very similar to where an alcoholic or a drug abuser or a domestic violent person or whatever it is, the first step is to admit you're in a closet mm-hmm. and to define what that closet is. And the so thing that awareness... That awareness is the place where everything starts from. You can't go to the next step until you admit, you know, as, as simply put as it can be, that there's a problem and there's a desire for a solution. So to me, it's admit you're in a closet and that you want to get out. Somebody recently said to me that they uh, disagree with that that first step of stating it, like I am an alcoholic, or I am uh, gay, or I am miserable, and I I am an entrepreneur, right? These kind of things, or I am not a corporate sheep, or whatever that and statement is. And what was their is. basis for disagreeing on that? They said that it when you say that, it's basically stating that you're weak. And takes you down rather than boosts you up and gives you the power to change. Wow. Isn't that odd? It's odd, but I can see a piece of that. You know, I think a lot of us come from different modalities and different ways of thinking. Sure. Things. But to me, if you can't admit this, 
then that's where the work starts. Mm-hmm. In fact, I will give you a really good example. When I'm working with someone who is in the closet coming out in their sexual orientation, the first question I ask when they come to me in that very first conversation is, so tell me why you believe you're gay. And that silence that we just had mm-hmm. oftentimes is what I hear on the other end of the Really? Call. Because they, they don't know. They don't. Even though they have the same sex attraction, even though they believe that there's something that stirs inside them, they have a hard time articulating it. So if I were to say to someone who is like really stuck in their career and they're saying they want to get out, then what I would say to them is, so tell me why you want to be an entrepreneur or tell me why you believe you should be a business owner or tell me why you believe this relationship isn't where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. because it's the same starting point. Totally. You have to admit what it is that you're not and what you want to be in order to get going. So that is step one. Okay. Step two is to face all the fears. And this is a powerful exercise and it's one that almost every one of my clients goes, really, this is what you want me to do for the next week between sessions? Yes. I want you to spend at least 10 minutes up to 30 minutes a day for the next week with a journal writing down everything you fear about being gay, being an entrepreneur, leaving this relationship, losing weight, whatever their closet is. I want you to write down every fear you can come up with. And this is because I want you to exhaust everything out of your gray matter onto a piece of paper mm-hmm. or onto you know, a Word document or something so that we can start to really look at it closely. Right. And start like, to dissect and get, them. Yeah, get rid of those fears. Like you, won't, you can't get rid of them unless you've identified them. Right. So it's really about facing the fears. We're not telling the fear to go away. We're not telling it to screw off. We're just, <laughs> we're just getting them out where we can hold them. So then the next step is what I call stop blowing yourself. Okay. Which is really like, we're going to quit the blowjobs here, okay? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get into the real stuff. And in that phase, we start to look at the voices we hear. We look at the assumptions we make. We identify anything that's being misinterpreted about these fears. We really look at all these things because all of them are some form of a limiting belief that we bring forward. Yes. And we also have to dissect some of these out because some of these things will be true not truths but they will be true based on past experiences so we need to kind of separate everything out and the reason i call it blowing yourself because every time the voices show up an assumption gets made we are interpreting things Mm. or we let a limiting belief we're giving ourselves hello a (laughs) blowjob right soothing yeah yeah and and sometimes it's not really soothing either it's just this is happening and it's like and it can be like a a bad blowjob no a little more to the left a little more to the right (laughs) you know whatever just we're still trying to get it done just get it done real pleasure so (laughs) that's like step number three what's an example though of that of something that you may find out is actually the truth so you may find out that if i cut okay i'm going to use like a true coming out you know in sexual orientation okay you may have a fear that people will reject you because in the past when you have told something about yourself that didn't make you fit in, mm-hmm. you lost friends. Mm. Okay, so there you go. You've had real life experience in this. The difference is you've never had real life experience with coming out in your sexual orientation. So you're assuming this is going to happen this time. 
you don't have any proof other than when you did something similar, it happened before. Mm-hmm. However, that something similar was a completely different situation. It was a completely different revealing of yourself. So And screw those where, people anyway. Well, kind of screw those people, <laughs> yes. But yes, and you know, but then you can also take that same scenario and go, well, I've heard, you know, or I've read that a lot of people when they come out of the closet you know, this one story that I read or this one study showed that, you know, 30% of the people that you tell are going to reject you. Okay, you're interpreting that that's going to happen to you. So I can kind of take each of these scenarios until we get to the ones that are really, really true mm-hmm. and say, when I said this to my brother, my brother's the only one I've already told and he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Okay, there's a truth. Okay, that's there that, you go. All right. There's a solid proof there. Mm-hmm. But again, then you're overlaying everything else onto somebody else. So Right, right. Okay, so that's a great example. Right. Sometimes you're going to find, hey, this is something you have to just have to deal with. So it's a true fear. And okay, now we've identified it. So that's step three. So step four is where we start to say, okay, now that we know these things to be true or not true, what is it you want to do with them? What do you want to do with the not truths? And what do you want to do with the truths? Well, we're going to sort those out because there are different ways we can start to work with each of these. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the truths and go in deeper. And this is where I'm like, how do we start to empower? We're doing the sort, but we're also empowering. So step four, sort and empower. Okay. Because you can get empowerment from something that you're throwing away because you're getting rid of it. Exactly. Okay. It's no longer needed in my, in my life. And you can also get empowerment from facing something head on. Exactly. And those things that you face head on may be the truths and go, okay, if this is really true that this person's going to reject me, how can that empower me? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to learn not to take things personally. Great. So, and that's not an easy thing to do. No, but this is why we work on this a whole lot yeah. in this phase. because, And you know, I say we work on this a whole lot depends on the person. Each person's journey is a little bit different. Sure. If they can like, move through some of this stuff, we go pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Other people, I can be in some of these phases with these people for a month or two months, depending on what they're really struggling with. Oh, yeah. I can see that. I mean, this is, this is deep work. It's very deep work. So as we start to do the sort and empower, we basically take everything that's empowering us and we start to build upon, okay, now that we're feeling empowered, what is it we really want to do? Mm-hmm. What is it we're trying to do? Are we trying to come out? Are we trying to come out to everyone? Are we trying to come out and start having dialogue with some people about what we're doing? And when I say come out, it could be I'm coming out to some people. I'm going to talk to some people about I really want to leave Cubicle Nation, become an entrepreneur. I really think I should get out of this relationship. I think I'd really like. We find the places to really start having the powerful conversations and to start to build our, what I call our tribe you know, our, our circle, our inner circle. So it's step five is really about powerful conversations and building our inner circle. That's great. So you, and you help, you coach people into picking who they should kind of approach first and sure. all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and there's a lot of, okay, who should you approach first and how should you do this? Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be people already in your circle that actually have already shown you that they can do some of this with you but they've been doing it on other fronts and you just don't realize, oh, okay, I can take that person. Wow, they'd be really good here for yeah. me. 
Yeah. And then she can take this person. Yeah. Oh, they'd be really good here for totally. me. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there were people automatically that I kind of was uh, magnetically attracted to when I was making the shift to become an entrepreneur and getting out of like corporate America. Right. And so I saw that they had done it for themselves. And so they were I was attracted to them and was able to talk to them freely about it because I knew I wasn't going to be judged. But the very last person I told was my mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, it took a long time to let her know. Like, uh, you know, I was already like seven months into it before I said anything. So as we're doing the powerful conversations and identifying our inner circle, before we go to them, though, there's another step. And this is step number six. It's how to be humble and transparent. And the reason I throw this in and that some people go, well, that's kind of a weird step. I'm like, no, it's not. Because the hardest thing to do is be transparent. We've been hiding. Remember, where we started was the closet. So all these years, we've been hiding in a closet, not letting people know this is what we want to do. And it takes a lot of humility to finally go, okay, deep breath, you know, downward dog move in mm -hmm. yoga. Here we go. I'm going to be very transparent. This is who I am. This is what I want to be. And I'm coming to you because I want to share this with you. I want to have this powerful conversation with you. And I want you to be part of my inner circle. So that's why, to me, humble and transparent is that sixth step. Yeah, not just kind of like throwing it at them and be like, either accept me or don't, you know, like that kind of thing. Well, I'm glad you said that because then step number seven is rejection. Mm -hmm. It's really about embracing rejection. Embracing it. Embracing it because we're going to learn a whole lot in those people that don't embrace us. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. We're going to learn about a lot about what it is we're trying to accomplish. We're going to learn a lot about who other people are. And if we get hung up in this rejection, we're never going to move forward. Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, those who are constantly seeking approval, it's like robbing you of your joy. Yeah. So once we learn to embrace the rejection, it's what I call being fully and truly committed and confident. That's the next step. Because we built up everything else. So we've experienced, okay, here's my closet. We faced our fears. Mm -hmm. We've stopped blowing ourselves. We're sorting <laughs> and empowering ourselves. Sorted. Yeah, sorted. And then we do the powerful conversation. We start to create the powerful conversations. We identify our circle who we want to have those with. But we have to have the humility and transparency that comes with it. But we also have prepared for the rejection. So now we're taking our stand. Now we're ready to be confident and committed. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a biggie. It's like one of the biggest. Huge. Things. Well, you call it personal revolution. Right. Exactly. It's and that is what it is. To, exactly. And the place that we most often lose the confidence and the commitment is because we missed two other steps. And they're actually, they kind of go together. Is we forget to remain curious and we forget to remain courageous. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's like any shift in your mindset in any part of your life. There are going to be times when you fall back and you have to like dust yourself off and get up again. Yeah. And if you were to see this in like one of my, I don't do it in a slide, but I kind of draw, draw it out visually in people's minds, it's a circle. Because by the time you get through the final, so the final two steps are the confident and committed. You got to stay confident and committed to, you know, Keep that line in the sand going. Mm -hmm. And then if that, once you've got that, the next step is staying curious and courageous throughout it all. 
which is not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but the reason I lead with courage, I mean, curious in that last step is because as long as you're always curious, you will never, quote unquote, air quotes, big air quotes here, you will never go get hung up back in the closet. And that's where the circle starts all over again. Right. So if we really were kind of pivot this like one step, the starting point is really curious and courageous hmm. to come out of the closet, to then step into facing your fears, to stop blowing yourself, to sort and empower. You love that one, don't I you? Do. Every time I say it, you love that one. <laughs> but this all kind of makes sense when you start to see it. And, and this is why I designed this the way I did, because you could actually you could actually pivot just about any one of these steps and start at any point. So if somebody showed up to me and said, so I have these beliefs about blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. So first step for you is we're going to get you to stop blowing yourself <laughs> because that's where they entered the conversation. But right. what will happen is I'll step back with them even in that and say, okay, so tell me about why you're, you're, you know, you're blowing yourself about this. What's the fear and what is the thing you've been hiding from everybody else? I just backed them up two steps. They don't even really realize that's what I did. Mm -hmm. But then we can catapult forward. That's now, so somebody, great. Somebody could show up and go, okay, I'm, you know, no matter what I do, everybody's rejecting me. Okay, great. So what would start to happen for you if you found the beauty in rejection and you started embracing it and you started learning from it? Oh, well, I guess I would feel better and more confident. Yes, and what about being committed if you could embrace so see, then we just start right in. But then yep. again, I can step backwards through all these steps and um, help people get there. So. That's so amazing. I love what you're doing. And obviously, this approach, you figured it out by going through your own experience, which you still deal with all the time, even now. All the time. All the time. Yep. So it's, it's a skill set that you teach to people to help them remain confident and, and really embrace their true selves for the rest of their lives. Well, the thing is, and you know... I know there's another statement very similar to what I'm about to say, but the one thing you can't ever get away from is your true self. Absolutely. Your true self is always there. Mm -hmm. Now, can you change who your true self is? You can add to it. You can make that true self be somebody that you want to be more aligned, but the soul of who you are is your true self, and that soul is always with you, no matter where you go. Yep. We can only evolve, like you yes, said, add to exactly. it. Exactly. And I see, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of use of the term coming out and coming out of the closet and what closet, you know, I use all those things. But the thing is, is when you look at all those words, at the end of the day, the whole point of exploring any of that is so you can evolve and become more self-aware and to become more conscious. And happy. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go through the muck in order to get to the happy place. You do. You they know, do. you know, I love what you're doing, Rick. Um, everybody out there, please go. If you want to be coached by Rick, uh, be inspired, see him speak, stay on top of what he's doing. Go to rickclemens.com and also subscribe to his podcast, The Coming Out Lounge. It's fantastic. He's got great guests on there. And um, Rick, I'm so honored and proud to call you my friend. Uh, likewise, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. I love what you're doing, and I just I hope that each time you and I both get behind the microphone, that we touch one life. If that's all we do is touch one life, it's all worth it. Absolutely, and I just got some chills. <laughs> Me too, because I'm sitting here drinking a Cosmo. Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. On air. <laughs> 
go ahead. Get back to your drinking, Rick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again. I really appreciate this opportunity, and yes. I love you to death. I love you, and thank you again, too. Talk soon. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.